Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 67. Let's go back to Europe this week as we welcome back our friend Donal, who recently returned from his Liberty of the Seas Western Mediterranean cruise. Let's discuss what Donal and his family did on Liberty of the Seas, what they liked, and how their port adventures went. Here we go. Joining me once again on today's show is Donald Cavanaugh. You may remember Donald because we talked to him back in episode 63, where we kind of talked about European cruises in general, and Donald was just about to go on Liberty of the Seas on a nice excursion on a seven-night Western Mediterranean cruise out of Barcelona. Welcome back to Royal Caribbean Blog, Donald. Thank you, Matt. And, uh, of course, Donald, you're back from your seven-night Western, and this was on Liberty of the Seas, and, you know, Liberty of the Seas is a beautiful ship, and we were talking a little bit about it, previewing it, on the last episode you were on, but that was, you know, kind of, like I said earlier, it was a mix of talking about European cruises in general, and then also your cruise, but this is going to be all about your cruise, talking about your experience and sharing it with us. So let's talk about your time on Liberty of the Seas. Let's start with, um, you know, general thoughts, good cruise, thumbs up. What were your general thoughts going into it? And what, how did your, how did your expectations get met or not met? Absolutely wonderful cruise, Matt. I would have to say our expectations were in fact exceeded. We didn't know what to expect. As I said before, we had been on Freedom. We have done a Western Caribbean run out of uh, Port Canaveral on Freedom. So we were familiar with the uh, the Freedom class. We knew it was going to be a good ship. Obviously, we'd uh, researched the ship. We'd looked up the YouTube videos. But as you well know yourself, as all our listeners will know, of course, no YouTube video, no reading a book, no looking at a picture is going to match that wonderful feeling you get when you see and step on board a ship for the first time and Liberty is in absolutely top notch condition. I saw a post on Cruise Critic this week suggesting someone had said Liberty may be uh, looking a bit the worse for wear. Absolutely not. I have no idea where that idea came from. That does not describe the ship I was on. Absolutely wonderful. That's that's great to hear. You know, I sometimes people see posts like that and they get a little worried. And I can tell you, I saw the same things before my Jewel the Seas cruise because that ship hasn't even been refurbished yet. And people are like, "Oh man, the, you know, the, it looks it looks worse for wear." Like you to borrow your phrase, and you know what? It's not the case at all. Royal Caribbean really does a great job at keeping these ships on Liberty the Seas. Is it's practically brand new still. It's uh, it's it's a great boat to go on. Totally, absolutely beautiful cruise and a great cruise. Uh, great people, great ship, great itinerary. Uh, right from the moment we boarded in Barcelona on that uh, Sunday morning, just about to touch into Sunday afternoon, everything was absolutely a one the whole week long. Let me ask you this, Donald. Um, when you're talking, when you're taking a cruise out of Barcelona and you're doing a Western Med. How does that compare to other cruises that you've taken in Europe in terms of the experience? How's Barcelona as a port? And uh, just in general, like cruising Western Med, what are some like, you know, uh, guidelines or observations that you had going on this cruise that maybe would people would find uh, useful if they were to do the same? I think Barcelona is a great uh, port to leave from for a number of reasons. Number one, it's probably the biggest um, port of departure uh, and arrival in the Western Mediterranean. So the port authorities there have this down to a fine art. They regularly have 10,000 passengers plus passing through the port and they do it with absolute aplomb. It's a clockwork operation from 4am right through to uh, to noon with uh, taxis coming and going, bringing passengers to the airport from the airport. They really have it down to a fine art. Also, Barcelona itself is a wonderful city. The port is in the city itself. So, I mean, I was in a, a city centre hotel right on La Rambla on my pre-breakfast morning walk the day of uh, 
embarkation. I left the hotel, went for a walk, walked down to the port, had a look at the ships that were in, walked back to the hotel for breakfast. It is that close that you will easily walk from your hotel. Now, they don't recommend you walk down with full luggage because it's a mile or two, but she is really close to port to the city itself. It's a great city in terms of sight. It's a great city in terms of amenities, in terms of restaurants, in terms of nightlife. So you get to Barcelona, you spend a really good weekend there. The ship is really well accessed. It's a really well-run port. And uh, the area around the airports, the uh, the facilities, the, the subway within Barcelona itself, it, it's really well contained and it's a really tight operation. And it's a wonderful city in, in terms of getting around, in terms of experience, in terms of just having a great time. And and a, a large group of us met up actually in Barcelona over that weekend and everyone agreed, yeah, it was a really good port to leave from. Excellent. That's great to hear. Real quick, though, and how, how's the amount of English that's spoken in, in Spain? I'm not I'm only familiar with, you know, Latin America and, and the amount, you know, most people are pretty good about speaking English there because, of course, you know, proximity to the United States and tourists and everything is about the same. In Spain? Yeah, it is. I mean, there there are three there are three languages in Spain because Spain is part of a, a region called uh, Catalonia, and uh, there's a language Catalan, which is also spoken there. In fact, Catalan is the really the primary language in Barcelona. Uh, so they will speak Catalan, they will speak Spanish, and they will speak English. But uh, absolutely everyone has a smattering of English over there, and uh, there's absolutely no problem getting around at all. Great. So let's talk about real quick about because I think the ports is really what we want to focus on. But yeah, I wanted to give maybe. What are your uh, maybe two or three activities or things that you did on board Liberty of the Seas that really stood out to you? Activities on board. Um, well, I did the rock climbing wall for the first time in five cruises, which I was quite proud of. Nice. I got I, I got to the first bell, and I got about halfway to the to the top bell. But at that point, my arms just gave out. This was my fiftieth birthday cruise, so I just decided, okay, I have avoided it for the past couple of years. Uh, now, I, I I was previously substantially heavier and have lost a bit of weight over the past two years. Went on a bit of a, a fitness kick, so um, decided this, this this was time to try. So yeah, I I did the wall, rang one bell, didn't make the second. We'll do that on the next cruise. Um, in terms of other activities, the entertainment on board was absolutely wonderful. Uh, Saturday Night Fever, a really great version of that show. Some great entertainment as well in the theatre and uh, also in the the smaller bars as well. Particularly the live music uh, upstairs in the Oliver Twist in the Viking Lounge. Some great jazz, some great salsa music up there, and uh, also some trivia. Did a couple of trivias, uh, had a few ni- nice victories, including the, the Crown and Anchor uh, quiz, which I was quite proud of. Um, I pretty much won on my own against <laughs> a number of teams. So it just goes to prove listening to the uh, to the podcast and reading Chris Critic really, really does work in your favor. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But you mentioned one thing, and I, and I hope that people who maybe are new to cruising or new to Royal Caribbean take note of the live music. I think it's a very underreported aspect of what Royal Caribbean does really, really well. And that is the live music on board all their ships. Totally. And and not only in in the, the, I mean, there is the the Liberty of the Seas Orchestra. And it was quite interesting because uh, on on our muster station, as people will know, its crew members are are in charge of your muster station. And the guy that was uh, swiping our sea passes and and taking note of our our attendance at muster was the spitting image of the actor Eric Bogosian. I took a picture of him and I thought, oh, that guy really looks like Eric Bogosian. It turned out he was the bass player in the Liberty of the Seas Orchestra. (laughs) So I I kept on seeing him, you know, see him in the theatre, see him playing on the Royal Promenade. 
But even the piano player in the schooner, the guitar player in the English pub on Royal Promenade, all of these musicians, the reggae band that played out on the pool and uh, the, the jazz bands that played upstairs, the bands that played in the Sphinx, the nightclub just off the Royal Promenade, really, really wonderful music, wonderful live music. The, the, the musicians in, the, in the, the, the main dining room, actually, I had a discussion with my wife. Uh, there was beautiful piano and violin music playing and uh, she said, that's a CD. I said, no, it's not, that's live. No, it's a CD. She said, no, it's live. I said, it's a CD. She said, okay. I said, give me two minutes. I walked away with the camera, came back a minute and a half later with a picture of them because I knew they were pretty yep. much halfway down the stairs, just uh, tucked into a corner. It was, oh, I love it. Yeah, p- uh, yeah, piano and violin one night, a classical guitar player another night who was absolutely wonderful. And, and this music is everywhere. I know we all have this idea that it's all sort of feeling hot, hot, hot and songs <laughs> like that, but there's so much more, so, so much more on board those yeah. ships. You know, I love that dinner music. You're right in the main dining room. In fact, I complain once a cruise to the, main, the head waiter because they usually only play for like the first hour of dinner, and and I and I, I told the head waiter I say I want to have it. They should play all night because it's so beautiful and it really adds to the experience of it. So, totally in agreement there. Uh, what kind of stateroom did you have, by the way? We had uh, a promenade view. We had um, cabin 6275, which was just looking over the English pub on the Royal Promenade, one floor up. Directly beneath us was uh, the perfume and cosmetic shop. Uh, Great cabin, absolutely no noise, wonderful view of the parades, wonderful view of what was going on on the Royal Promenade. And uh, just gave you that lovely um, mix of... Uh, quietness and uh, a reasonably priced cabin, but still something to look at and uh, a feeling of being smack in the middle of the action. Absolutely. And uh, one, uh, an earlier episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, my friend Danielle was sharing her experience in the Royal Promenade Stateroom, which was on the Allure of the Seas. And one of the concerns that she had going into it was the ability for people to see into your cabin. But she noted that on her ship, that really wasn't an issue in terms of you had to be like against the window for somebody to see you. Did you find that to be the same on, on Liberty? I, I think so. I mean, there are curtains there anyway. I certainly never saw anything in any of the uh, the cabins across the way from us. And I, I presume no one ever saw anything into ours. Um, if we were there was any pri- private going on, you just close the curtains. Um, maybe, maybe once or twice you may forget. But uh, I, I, I don't think there was any incidents that uh, we need to be worried too much about. But yeah. certainly I didn't see anything and I, I can't uh, imagine there'd be any problems in that regard. Uh, what about specialty dining? Did you do any on the ship? Uh, not really. Um, we ate main dining room most nights. We ate in Johnny's one night because, as I as I alluded to the last time, I have to have a Johnny's Rockets milkshake at, at least once per cruise. So we uh, we ate in Johnny's one evening, and uh, we always make a point of having at least one dinner in Windjammer, uh, particularly because this has a jade. So I, I I like Eastern food. So we ate and uh, sort of had uh, some food in jade, and then maybe had desserts from Windjammer itself. But but certainly um, no, we we never really felt the need to go to Chops or Portofino because um, I, I personally have always found the, the food in the MDR to be absolutely fine and I don't feel the need to go above that. Absolutely. Sounds great. All right, let's talk about your ports here. Let's go port by port. What was your uh, what was your experience like and, and anything that stood out to you? Yeah, the experiences were great and uh, what, what made this, it was like a double whammy because we had both wonderful ports and wonderful people. Uh, I, I would have to say that uh, I was involved in a very active and uh, very friendly uh, group uh, and, and roll call on Cruise Critic and uh, that, that was really great because I, I met some great people. Um, on our first port was Marseille in, in France. 
we decided uh, on the roll call, a few of us uh, discussing that we were just going to get a, a taxi into town and then just get a, what they call the petty train, the little tourist train, up to a cathedral called Notre Dame de la Garde, which is uh, Our Lady, the our, our Guardian. It's a cathedral overlooking Marseille with panoramic views over the city. So uh, Kim and Mike, a Canadian couple and cruise critic, and my wife Pauline and I, we just uh, got the taxi in, went up to the cathedral, had wonderful views, great time up there, then back into the city, walked around. Unfortunately, it was a Monday. The main cathedral in the town itself was closed. Saw the museum, the art gallery, and then got a taxi back to the ship in plenty of time. Uh, The next day, we were in uh, Villefranche, which is uh, midway between Nice and Monaco, Monte Carlo. So again, via Cruise Critic, we met a wonderful couple called Texas, from Texas, called uh, Susan and Rodney. And uh, they, ourselves, and uh, a family from Limerick in Ireland, uh, Porrick and uh, his son Porrick, plus Liz and uh, their daughter Jessica. Um, the, the eight of us, um, Rodney organised it. We hired a, a van uh, from uh, Provence Riviera Tours and we went to a, a village called Ez, which is up in the mountains overlooking that whole Riviera coast, then went to Monaco, Monte Carlo and then went to Nice and an absolutely wonderful day. A bit of rain that morning and uh, that was just a... A bit disappointing, particularly as we were in Ez, which was the the real viewpoint and vantage point of the the journey. But it didn't dampen, but was a really, really great day. Um, The day after that, then we were in uh, La Spezia, which is in northern Italy. Now, a lot of people went to uh, Pisa or Florence from there. And I've heard some really good reports from people who did go. Uh, We elected to visit uh, the Cinque Terre, which are these five um, Italian fishing villages on the cliffs overlooking the Ligurian Sea. They're about 10 kilometres apart. You can see two or three of the villages from each each one. So we got the train to the last one from the Spezia, made our way back, visited all five. Absolutely wonderful, wonderful day. Next uh, port after that was Vecchia. Again, many, many people will go to Rome from there. I've been to Rome a few times. We just stayed uh, in Vecchia itself. Uh, my wife and I just um, took a stroll into the, the pier area uh, she actually sat down and read a book in the sun for quite a lot of the time. I took a walk into town, then took a stroll down to the pier, stayed around the seafront and then went back to the ship. Nice relaxing day. The The final port was then at Naples, uh, from where a group of 16 of us, again, who met on Cruise Critic, um, had uh, organised through Roman Limo uh, a van. Ashley, who was uh, honeymooning with her new husband, uh, had organised that. And uh, 16 of us uh, on the van, we spent uh, the morning in Pompeii, then went to Sorrento and Positano with a, a drive along the Amalfi Coast. And that was just an absolutely wonderful day. Would recommend that excursion to anybody. Wow, nicely done. You know, one thing I picked up on in your discussions about all the ports, it sounds like you made most of your port plans on your own as opposed to booking with Royal Caribbean. Is this the case? Do you think most people do this in terms of the onboard experience or is it just because you're, an, you're a seasoned veteran and you can do it, you feel comfortable doing it yourself? I, I feel comfortable doing it myself. I think what really, really helped was the fact that, uh, as I said, we were on Cruise Critic. We were active on Cruise Critic for quite a few months. We were talking. People were getting together. We were discussing it. So there was a lot of discussion, a lot of planning. went. I know there are some people who are quite happy to go on a cruise and uh, they'll just uh, turn up at the pier and they'll barely know where they're going. To be honest, my wife's a bit like that. You ask her a week to go, where, where are you going? And she'll go, uh, France. Uh, Spain, uh, Italy, uh, I think. 
<laughs> Whereas I'll, probably, I'll tell you where, where are the ports are, what the times are. I'll tell you how far from the city centre the port is. I'll practically be able to tell you the name of the port agent and, uh, you know, the name of the captain of the ship. Yeah, I, I tend to be a bit uh, a bit of a anal anorak in that respect. She's the exact opposite. The great thing about something like Cruise Critic or the, the RCL blog message boards as well is uh, you're speaking to people who are as obsessed and as, as, as anal as you are and you can make some great plans online. And I think so much of it is down to planning and I mean that's the one thing I would say to people whether you choose to go on a, a private excursion or an RCL excursion the most important thing to do is have a think about it plan it and as you know the planning is half the fun oh yeah absolutely it's what gets you through the time between booking and actually going on the cruise that's what I love about it so yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense and you know I think with the excursions in the Mediterranean I think they lend themselves more towards doing it on your own because of the breadth of opportunities and there's a lot more uh possibilities rather than in the Caribbean where, you know, you're in Cozumel. There's only so many things you can do in Cozumel, regardless of what, you know, the Cozumel tourist board will let you know. I mean, there's a, you know, you can only, there's pretty much a finite amount. And, but on, you know, in Rome, I mean, geez, you could do, you know, everybody on the ship could probably do something different and, you know, without any, without any uh, crossover in terms of what everyone's doing. So, uh, you know, I, yeah, it's uh, what I would thing. say too is the, the wonderful thing about about sort of booking a small private tour. As I said, when we did our, our tour out, out of Villefranche, there were eight of us uh, on this little um, on a, a minibus. Out of uh, Naples, there were sixteen of us. Now it means that given that any kind of a tour like that is always going to move at the pace of the slowest person, when you have a group of eight or a group of 16, it's going to move efficiently. At no point were we ever any person down, as in if the word was we meet back here at one o'clock, everybody was there at one o'clock and ready to roll. If we were supposed to meet at half past three, everybody was there at half past three. Whereas sometimes if you've got a coach of maybe 30, 35, 40 people, the chances of someone struggling, the chances of someone being a bit late, it's just that bit more intense. The other wonderful thing was in each case, we were blessed with a local guide with local knowledge who were able to point out both the obvious tourist things, but the small little things as well. When you're driving through the French Riviera with a driver that knows the area, they're pointing out the house that you two own. They're pointing out the house where the Rolling Stones recorded exit on Main Street. They're pointing out where Paul Allen of Microsoft lives. They're pointing out all the little interesting details, all the little things that only a local person is going to know. Um, they're, they're obviously doing the tourist stuff as well, but they also have all the little uh, nuggets of information. On the Naples trip especially, um, and it was suggested by Ashley, and it was a masterstroke, we all shelled out a couple of extra euro, and as well as hiring a driver, we hired a private guide. We thought we would only have her for Pompeii. We ended up having her for the whole day, and she wow. was absolutely brilliant it maybe cost us an extra 30 euro each it was the best 30 euro we spent all trip because the breadth of knowledge that she had the way she was able to help and assist us uh we were in sorrento she's from sorrento so she was able to bring us to a great restaurant able to point out the best places to go and and when you have that level of local knowledge with you it really adds to it and it means you can absolutely optimize you have a very small amount of time in a really culture and history rich place there is so much you can do so when you have that guide when you have that local knowledge at your fingertips it just makes it so much better absolutely well donald i got one last question for you usually i ask you the set of questions i ask every guest but you answered those two episodes ago so i don't think it's changed a whole lot so instead i'm going to ask you if i could put you back on liberty of the seas right now for the for just a day or even for the for an hour let's say well where would you go first if you had your choice 
based on you just spent a week there, where are you going first? I would have to say, if I'm on Liberty of the Seas for one hour, I'm going to go to Cafe Promenade and grab a hot chocolate, one of those uh, sandwiches and one of those cookies. It still remains one of my absolute favorite spots on the ship. That hasn't changed. Yeah, those those sandwiches. I love. <laughs> I've shared the story many times on the podcast, and we're always walking by, and you know, my wife will be like, "Oh, can you get you know the water for your daughter?" So I'm like, "Yeah, sure, no problem." And I go there. Not, I'm not going to get anything for myself, and I see them, and I'm like, "I got to get one for myself." <laughs> They're mm-hmm. so good, awesome. And then Donald? a very a very quick run upstairs, then to the helipad, which is wonderful for sail away, and uh, then a quick dash over, quick game of mini golf, and then up to the rock climbing wall. I have an hour, then up to the rock climbing wall, and I want to make that second bell. <laughs> There you go. Awesome. Great plan. Donald, thank you so much for joining us once again. Pleasure, Matt. Thank you. A couple of quick programming notes as we get into our questions here. First of all, uh, you may know, if you're listening to this podcast the week that it comes out, that I'm actually on Quantum of the Seas right now. That's right. I record these episodes the minute you hear them. So I'm no, I've recorded this before. But the good news is you actually can keep track of what's going on on Quantum of Seas live on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. We'll be posting daily live blog posts as well as content from the ship right there on the site. And I'll be tweeting and lots of Facebooking and Instagramming, probably more than anybody ever wants to read or see. But hey, it's what makes me happy. And I think for a lot of people, people want to know everything they can about the ship. So if you're here this week, November 12th or the 14th, and you're online, check out those channels I just mentioned to you. You'll be able to get a look at what's going on. And again, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, for at least one live broadcast during Quantum of the Sea. So again, all that stuff will be most easily available if you go to RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com or our sale blog on Twitter or Facebook, Facebook.com slash Royal Caribbean Blog. All right. And also, one other thing, as you may recall, other couple weeks ago, we had a question about excursions in the Caribbean, and I admitted I didn't know, so I opened it up to you guys, and I got some good responses so far. First of all, we got one from our good friend Chris, who was on a couple episodes ago, about Aruba, and he suggested E65 Trikes Aruba, or Chris's favorite excursion to date, ABC Tours Off-Road Adventure. So two good recommendations right there. And I also wanted to let our readers, actually, because this is more of a reading thing, we're going to be actually posting a guest review of a excursion on St. Kitts. So there's that'll be coming up actually probably in about next week. So some good information coming around here in terms of some shore excursion suggestions. And again, if any of you have any suggestions about great shore excursions, it doesn't have to be just about the Caribbean, really. I'm always open to reading and, and getting more information about great excursions people do. So feel free to keep this. This is an open topic. So anytime you think about one, you can email me, you can tweet me, whatever floats your boat. We'll definitely get that on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Both Chris and our good friends who are posting that guest blog post, Don and Heidi, they run a really nice little website. It's called Eat Sleep Cruise. So check that out. All right, let's get to your questions and we'll start things off with an email by someone else that's going on a Royal Caribbean cruise this week, Michael Poole. And you may remember Michael's been on a couple different episodes of ours and a good friend of mine. And Michael writes, I'm a longtime listener, three-time celebrity guest appearance on this podcast, but first time writing in. Very, very soon I'll be on Liberty of the Seas this week, four-day sailing to Cozumel, Mexico. I last sailed on Liberty in 2008, but things have changed quite a bit since then. My question to you is, why does this beautiful ship fly under the radar so much? She has a Broadway show in Saturday Night Fever, which currently only three other ships in the fleet have. Also, how do you think the ship conditions look? She entered dry dock in early 2011, but that's been a few years. Thanks for everything you do. Keep up the great work. Michael, always a pleasure to hear from you, even if we don't actually hear your voice on this podcast. And you know, this is a great question. Liberty of the Seas has been one of those ships that has been flying under the radar. And flying under the radar is essentially being defined as 
it's usually priced pretty aggressively because they just can't fill the ship a lot of times, especially last year when it was based out of Fort Lauderdale. It just seemed like there was always a sale on this cruise, and it just doesn't get the attention, right? I mean, the Oasis class gets huge attention. Now, Quantum of the Seas is getting a lot of attention. Even its sister ship, Freedom of the Seas, gets a lot of attention, but Liberty of the Seas is not really gotten that kind of attention. I think it's just a product of a couple things. Number one, it's a crowded marketplace, okay? Even for Royal Caribbean. I mean, I just mentioned, what, four or five ships right there that are getting the attention. There's only so much attention to go around, big attention. And so other things are going to fly under the radar. And Liberty is one of them. It's been doing a lot of different itineraries. Mostly it's been doing, again, that Fort Lauderdale Caribbean itinerary. And then it also alternates in the summertime. She goes over to Europe and mostly does the Mediterranean, which I think she actually does better over there in terms of not flying under the radar. But again, that's more of a product, again, of less competition to, to deal with. And I think that's really just what it is. There's When you have Oasis-class ships, when you have Freedom of the Seas, which gets all the attention for that class, and now Quantum-class coming on board, hey, you know, there's just, <laughs> you're not going to be able to get equal slices of the pie necessarily. But that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a great thing for us as fans. We know that Liberty is a great ship. In fact, I, I think Liberty of the Seas is one of the best ships Royal Caribbean puts on. The Freedom-class is such a strong class of ships that, you know, and, and this one has, as Michael mentioned, Saturday Night Fever, a Broadway show. That's that's pretty impressive, and I think it's a great ship to go on. Michael, you're going to be on there, actually, I think, the day or either the day this episode comes out or the day after, and I think you're going to have a great time on there. It's it's a wonderful ship. It offers a lot, and he's going on a four-day sailing, four days on a Freedom-class ship. I don't know how you're going to be able to do it all because there's so much packed on that ship. I hope you, hope you have a great time on board, and of course, you want to hear about it, Michael, so you know maybe we'll bring you back on board here on the podcast and talk about your experience because there's a lot to discuss about what goes on. It's a popular ship, especially this time of year now that Liberty's back on this side of the Atlantic. She's going to be offering a lot of cruises. So I would definitely not hesitate to book her. And in terms of the condition, she looks great. Every photo I've seen, every YouTube video I've been able to check out because when I'm bored and that happens often, I go over to YouTube or I'll browse Twitter and, and go look for photos of these and videos of these ships. And I'll tell you, they look marvelous. So you'll have a great time, Michael. Enjoy. Next, we have an email from Alan Snow. Hey, Matt, just discovered your Royal Caribbean blog. Great job and very informative. Do you have any inside info on specifically when Oasis 3 might be launched? I've read mid-2016, but thought you might have learned a more specific time frame. We're planning a 2016 cruise with a couple of friends who've never cruised before. We cruised on Allure a couple of years ago and wished to cruise on either Oasis or the new Oasis 3 with our friends. Also, where might Oasis 3 be based? I read Port Canaveral's likely, which would be perfect for us. I'll appreciate any info you can share. So this is a really good question because Oasis uh, 3, for lack of a better word, it's the third Oasis-class ship that's coming on board. It's been on order now for a little while, but it's just getting under construction, and it is... As you mentioned, expected the inaugural cruise will be happening mid-2016, and that's all we know. There's a third ship. It's going to be Oasis-class. It's going to be very, very similar to the existing Oasis-class ships, and it's coming in mid-2016. Now, Royal Caribbean is purposefully not divulging much information about this. In the same way that Anthem of the Seas did not get a whole lot of attention, still doesn't really, in lieu of Quantum of the Seas. And I mentioned this on another show, but I'll reiterate it. Royal Caribbean, when it promotes its ships, they like to focus on what's here and now and the next thing, not two things down because they don't want you as as an example here alan to go and say i'm not going to book anything until oasis 3 comes out because there's a couple problems number one you can't even book oasis 3 right now if you wanted to and number two that means you're not gonna book anything else in advance they want you to book something now they want you to book you know oasis of the seas probably for for this year and then maybe next year you'll book another ship and then maybe when quantum comes around then you'll book that one they want to keep the focus on what's available now what they can sell to you they can't sell oasis now you could argue well matt I think they could sell Oasis now. 
And you know what? You're probably right. But again, they don't want to sacrifice sales for other ships. They don't want to have quantum disease coming out with all this hubbub. And oh yeah, here's two other ships that are coming down the line. People will be like, ah, okay, I forget quantum. I want to go look at these other ones. They want people to focus on one thing at a time, selling those ships, doing really, really well. So that's why quantum disease is going to have a lot of attention between now and when anthem of the seas comes out. And then it's going to be like, whoop, you're going to see all the attention go to anthem of the seas. And then when that third Oasis class ship comes out, whoop, you'll see that going there. Now your other question what, I hope you'll enjoy the sound effects on this episode. <laughs> uh, the third question you had was, where is it going to be based? Man, this is a really good question. So uh, we know that Quantum of the Seas is going to China. We know Anthem of the Seas is going to be over in the UK, although it is coming back to the United States in the wintertime. So where is the third Oasis-class ship going? That's a really good question, and it depends on a lot of other factors. Basically, where other ships are going to go. It's a good question because we've proven now, Royal Caribbean has proven that there is demand for an Oasis-class ship in Europe. We've seen that now with Oasis and Allure. He's selling really, really well over there. So it's not unlikely that we couldn't see maybe one of the Oasis or both of the Oasis-class ships that are currently here, being Oasis and Allure, going overseas somewhere, be it Europe, be it Asia, who knows, and then having this third Oasis-class ship be based in the United States. Don't forget, there's also a fourth Oasis-class ship that'll be coming in mid-2018. In fact, all the ships that are on order, they're all available on our Royal Caribbean website. I'll post a link in the show notes to all the ships they have on order, including some unconfirmed rumors about other ships. In fact, there could possibly be a fifth Oasis-class ship, if you can believe that. Again, all this information will be posted in our show notes if you want to read more about it, but I hate to say that I don't give you much more information than you put in your email, but that's all there is, really. I mean, they really... It's it's really... They, they have it over in the corner there. It'll be coming out in due time, but... We've got a lot of time before we're really going to hear any kind of substantial information. I mean, you got to start with a name first, and we haven't even gotten that far. So until we have at least a name of this ship, don't expect a whole lot in terms of where it's going to be based and, and, and pricing and all that kind of stuff. It's very much further down the line. And I think we'll round things out here with an email from Christopher Percy. I really enjoyed episode 64, Royal Caribbean versus Celebrity Cruises. Since we've cruised on both extensively, I could agree completely with Brian's assessment of the differences and similarities, too. We are currently in the UK visiting with family, and in later on, we'll be starting our 14-day transatlantic cruise on Celebrity Eclipse, going from Southampton to Miami with two-day stops in New York City and Bermuda, in addition to a stop in Cape Canaveral. Wow. The reciprocal frequent cruiser programs on Royal Caribbean's three cruise lines is a very nice addition and certainly adds to the cruise experience if you can jump a level on one line according to the higher level you have on the other lines. Wow, that sounds like a great cruise, Christopher, and a great way to experience both. I mean, to be able to go from Europe, have a stop in New York, and also in Cape Canaveral, why not? That's a that's a great transatlantic, actually. And, you know, the advantages of being able to stay within Celebrity and Azamar, which are the sister companies to Royal Caribbean, it really does give you a whole lot of benefit there because you get to stay within it, but you get to retain your level. I mean, when you jump to another cruise line altogether, not that I'm biased or anything because I totally am, you're going to start out at the bottom, right? But at least with these, you get to pretty much stay at the level you have. That's a, that's a huge advantage. For anyone who's been able to take advantage of these crown and anchor benefits, you you know what that really means. And to be able to go into their equivalent programs on sister companies, man, that's 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 key right there. So I, I love it. And uh, Brian was a great guest on that episode. I really enjoyed talking with him about, about celebrity. And you know what? Maybe I'll have to try that out myself one day. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Of course, we want to hear from you. If you've got your thoughts, comments, everything about Royal Caribbean, questions, anything about this cruise line, of course, this is your podcast, your opportunity. I want to hear from you, my friends, to be on this show. So email me, Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Or you can also tweet us. We are at the RCL Blog on Twitter. Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash Royal Caribbean Blog. So until next show, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon. <laughs>